Welcome to the podcast series about our textbook, Indigenous Education in Australia, Learning and Teaching for Deadly Futures, published by Routledge. This podcast series is hosted by Marnie Shea and Rhonda Oliver. We are the editors of this book, which is a collection of chapters authored by Indigenous and non-Indigenous educators and researchers on a variety of topics on Indigenous education. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land that this podcast is recorded on and the lands of the peoples where listeners are tuning in from today. In this podcast series, we explore the chapters with authors, providing listeners and readers of the text the opportunity to hear authors yarn about their chapters and provide further insights about some of the suggested practice implications on their topics. It's Marnie here, and today I'm yarning with the Dharawal Traditional Descendants and Knowledge Holders Circle, who authored the chapter, Resisting the Racist Silence, Understanding the Evidence for When Racism and Education Collide. Welcome and thank you so much for sharing your time and knowledge with us for this podcast series. Can you please introduce yourself to the audience, who you are, who's your mob and where you're from? Over there. Marty, um, pleasure to be on the podcast. So, yeah, thank you for inviting us on and talking to us. Uh, my name is Gawain Buckingham Andrews. I work for the Centre of the Advancement of Indigenous Knowledges and also the youngest member of the Doral Knowledge Holder Circle. Um, proudly uh, part of that. And I'm sitting here with my elders who will introduce themselves. But first of all, um, I identify as Bidigal as part of the Doral Nation. I think it's important just to describe what the circle is. It's an informal gathering of dark people, dark old peoples, which has no structure. These gatherings at the moment are called, convened by Gawain as a, 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 as a discussion group about uh, an ARC project that he's involved in. And any member of the circle can convene a meeting if they've got issues of concern that they need to talk about. So... Um, it's not a registered Aboriginal organisation and probably never will be because as soon as we do that, we bow to the colonial will. So we do this in our old ways and this table and we and, and it's valued equally. So my name's Gavin Andrews and I'm just a Darrell man. I'm 70 years old and I happen to be my age, Dad. <laughs> we all carry burdens at times. Good morning. Uh, I'm John Foster, a uh, Darrell man, born uh, in Sydney, raised in the suburbs of Sydney. Education and uh, racism uh, are a real hot favourite of mine because I experienced that growing up in a white society. And as far as education is concerned, I hardly had any in, in school, no, hardly any schooling at all because I'd I just wouldn't go because of the racism. So that's why it's such a crucial point for me. And I absolutely enjoy these uh, social meetings because everything is done in a culturally appropriate way. And what I can see, one of our objectives is to get uh, Aboriginal children today to learn about their culture through stories. And Arnie Fran is an expert in that. And I just love the way she writes and the stories that she's written all have a a moral uh, agenda to them. And uh, a lot of white people read these, and we're just talking about this, they read these and they can't see the 
the moral behind the story, mm. or the culture, or the history that's involved in it. Basically, that's all I have to say in a short time I have. Thank you. Thank you. There's a good point about how the different lenses at which they can view our stories, and our stories tend to be, how shall I put it, reduced to myths and legends. Yeah. Um, and I'd argue that's a classic example, I guess, what you would call epistemic racism. That was the ways of knowing which arrays the depths and the the intelligence and the lessons embedded within our stories and our cultures. Mm. Anyway, I'll pass you on now to Uncle Ross. Good day. How are you today? Hello. How are you? I'm well, Not thanks. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, um, I was born in Sydney, um, Paddington Hospital, as a matter of fact, and I lived in Surrey Hills, if mm. you know that area. That's mm. right, the central station. So I was right in town, in Gadigal land. So I believe, mm. and that's what I relate to. And when it comes to talking about what what the topic is, everything that the others have said, I agree with hundred percent. It's also in the line of work that I did, which was community development. Coming across racism was quite openly there, as mm. as we can say it in that that respect, without trying to step on too many toes. We we had to be very careful. And, oh, no, we can't do that because it may be seen in another another way. But yet, we had to bend. They mm. didn't have to bend, which is wrong. Our stories, as we were talking about today, people just don't look at it and try to put it, the animals which in the story as a human being cannot do that. Do you understand what I mean by that? I do. So what we, and we, we find it very much harder. So they mm. actually say they're kids' stories, mm. but they're not. There's many, many laws within to, in there. Mm. In the, at the moment, I'm actually putting one together myself. I'm finding more laws than I am writing. So, yes, I'll let you pass on to Aunty Karen now, if that's okay with you. Yep, wonderful. Thank you. Thank you, Uncle Ross Evans. Um, pass on now to Aunty Karen Evans. Hi, Molly. Good afternoon, morning. Hello. Good morning. How are you going? Not too bad. I also am a general woman. Um, I was actually born in Concord in Sydney and lived in Burwood and Concord for a while when I was younger. Had a whole Catholic education all my life, so supposedly a good Catholic girl. I've since learned a lot from there, but my mum and my grandmother come from La Perouse, my great-grandmother. I've also got connections to Derek, my over at Blacktown Way. I currently am a grandmother with 10 grandsons, one granddaughter only. I'm heavily involved with education of our kids in school. I face and see racism daily on an everyday basis, particularly with my kids at school. Half of them, or probably a third of them are in, still in primary. The other two thirds are in high school or graduated already. I'm the president of the local ACG for Durham area. I'm involved with the high school quite a bit as well. And I see the racism, I've lived it. I remember my grandmother taking me on the tram from Burwood to La Perouse under a scarf over her head. If anyone asked her identity, she had to say she was European. Mm. Same with my mother. My mother wasn't completely honest with me about my Aboriginality until I was about 16, 17. She just rocked up one day and said, oh, by the way, your father's not your father and uh, you are an Aboriginal woman, like double banger, you know. Yeah. And so ever since then I've been searching and looking and trying to find my place in this world, who I am, what I am, where I belong. All that stuff that I've since found out for my grandmother and her mother before and my own mother, it's heartbreaking, it's intergenerational trauma, mm. stolen generation stuff, all that 
Um, but what I'm mostly worried about today that I see happen in a lot of so-called Aboriginal organisations is the nepotism. And if you're not a person with the surname of the people running the show, then you're treated by your own, even if they're extended family. You're treated like you're a second-class citizen. And I've often had to say to someone like him, I'm part of your family, remember? We're distant cousins, distants, whatever. Oh, yeah, sorry, I always forget that. Don't forget that. Show that respect, you know? like You've got to, you've got to fight for who you are like, every day, even when you don't want to, when, even when you're just tired, you know, and you just want to do the right thing so that's sort of my story at the moment and I think the only way that things can get better is we keep talking about it Mm. we decide what we will or won't accept from people we can't make them say or do you know what we expect but we can control how we react to it Mm. if we try and stay positive and just keep fighting from little things big things grow I believe that sincerely never give up I'm like a dog with a bone I know I'm right I'm in there and that's it (laughs) so yeah thank you for um, listening to me today I really appreciate it I'm a pastor on the other Carl's Shannon Foster hi Marnie I'm Shannon Foster Um, I am John Foster's daughter and I'm a Dharawal woman from Sydney here. Um, always have been, always will be here. <laughs> it's, our, it's our country and it's the place that I know and love and feel very connected to. Um, I've been in education for over 25 years and I'm now doing a PhD with UTS for the, in the Centre for the Advancement of Indigenous Knowledges. Um, and all the work revolves around our Nurimi stories or our living Nurimi and the stories of my elders and making sure that everything is written down and recorded and documented so that we don't lose these important stories and these important views and words from our elders because they are so essential to our future. Wonderful. And today and tomorrow. So. Um, we also have another member, an honorary member. Yeah. Um, jo, she's not named on the paper. Do you want her to introduce herself as well? Sure. That'd be great. Hi, Money. Hello. My name's Jo patterson Kinnabarra. Uh, I'm a Wagulla member of the circle, uh, which means I'm not on country here, but I'm a descendant of the Kariuaku West African people who were enslaved by the British uh, in the Caribbean and who uh, fled to Aotearoa, New Zealand to get away from slavery. Uh, and so I work in partnership with uh, with Shannon, who just introduced herself on uh, education in uh, university with uh, young Aboriginal uh, students working on developing their cultural knowledge and skills and, and their strengths and their identity as they move into their, their careers. In your chapter, you explored racism and education or schooling. Can you please share with us what some of the main messages are that you wanted readers to take from the chapter? I'm Gavin, Gwen's mum. <laughs> I copped it from both sides. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I was Aboriginal, but I was told I was too white to be Aboriginal. I actually, we actually had to fight a, a racism case when we were treated, and we won. We were the first people to win. We've been treated terribly as Aboriginal people. And yet here it was, this, the same Aboriginal people were the ones who wouldn't recognise me. And so, but anyway, that, that got settled and that was that was great. I now have family around me and everything like that. It's wonderful. I want you to know that racism can go two ways. A lot of Aboriginal people have suffered like I have. Well, it's a very strong point and I guess mm-hmm. this is the, the issue within the chapter itself of limiting any discussion of racism even to 6,000 words. I know how much trouble you had getting me to keep the word limit down, but the whole point of the chapter itself was 
to highlight how complicated racism is. It's not, not just simply someone calling someone else names, um, and it's not simply about unequal power relations, but it's something that's embedded in our society in many, many different ways. Mm. Um, and often people think they have some grandiose notion of how to fight racism. It's just about teaching about um, anti-racist attitudes or whatever, but any single approach to fighting racism is not a enough because it finds other ways to appear and to demean our peoples. So I guess that was the primary point of the chapter was to highlight two things. One, not only how complex racism is um, and how bad it is to be fought in many different ways, but also secondly, that too often the narratives of racism um, are written by white people themselves yeah. and they're dictating terms as to well, what should we see as racism and so forth. So this could be ranging from something as simple as um, someone like a politician claiming that we're all too sensitive. I can name both non-Indigenous and Indigenous politicians and media personalities who make those arguments um, and they're just perpetuating the existence of racism itself within Australia. So... Yeah, we just need to keep that in mind. And we've also got other narratives where people limit their understanding of racism to their favourite theorist or something like that. And uh, the point that um, Fran, Aunty Fran was trying to make was that even as Aboriginal peoples, we can participate and perpetuate these racist discourses. Um, and therefore, we're not taking responsibility. And unfortunately, that wasn't strongly evident within the chapter itself. And so we're talking about it. Some people might call it that violence. Some people might call it internalised racism. Some people might even say it's not racism because we're in a disempowered group and therefore we can't perpetuate racism in some way. Um, all of these have elements of truth to it, but they're actually exclusionary narratives about the complexity of racism itself. And as a result, they're stopping us as Aboriginal and Torres Strait peoples and as non-Indigenous people in understanding the true insidious nature of racism itself and also stopping us from fighting it and most importantly, stopping us from being able to protect and strengthen our future generations. Does anyone want to add to that? Uh, I just want to make a point and, uh, and congratulate Karen for bringing up the issue of what I think people call internal racism. Yeah, you and Fran as well. And the fundamental truth of racism is that it's an acquired skill. And what I mean by that is a newborn babe and a young child inherently, irrespective of the colour of its skin or the shape of its body or anything, is not racist. It learns to be racist. A big theme in Aboriginal society today is about decolonisation. Before we succeed in that, we've got to be getting to deracialisation, if you want to call it that. We are, as Aboriginal peoples, to fight against racism. We ourselves cannot be racist. Otherwise, we'd be a living hypocrisy. And so it's just, just the wrong thing to be and to do. Yet, we, and Karen mentioned and said Fran in another way, uh, we live and practice what we're fighting against, uh, and we commonly see that that practice, and you know, you've you experienced it, uh, you know, in organisations and, and so on. And I know the fights Karen and you've been involved in with the so-called Aboriginal Land Council, yeah. which she's a member of, and I've never been so disgusted of some of our own people's behaviour against our own people. And 
yet we get up there as people and say, stop being racist against us. Fundamentally, I would argue that we have no right or position to run that argument when we ourselves are practising what we're preaching against. And and therein lies the fundamental hypocrisy of the complexity of what racism has become in society today, which is what it's endemic within Western society and it's becoming endemic within Aboriginal society because we've learned so well from our masters well, so-called masters, which we shouldn't be doing. Yeah, hi, Marnie. I've just been jotting down a few things, so I thought I'd just share them with you. For me, racism has many layers. There's, you know, the, the, you can look at some people, there's the body language, there's the lateral violence, as Graham mentioned, there's their behaviours, the looks, the sneers, things like that, even if they're not saying a word. Um, so basically, I'm a believer of if you walk the walk and talk the talk, don't do one without the other. Um, we can teach by example. It's a never-ending battle, and I'm probably all going to our grave still fighting the good fight. Don't judge a book by its cover because we all have our own stories. And also, I'm not affected by it as much myself because I'm not on it yet. But the social media thing is a real concern for me. Facebook, uh, all those things, Instagram, whatever they're called, where people can get up and say what they like about anybody without having any proof at all, just their own opinion. I don't don't espouse to that. I think that's wrong Mm -hmm. on so many levels. I don't know if there's no quick answer. As I said, it's many layers. So I think if we pull something out and work on that and if we can achieve that, well, that's the next bit of, bit of problem that we're dealing with. That's really all I wanted to say. It's um, just something that bothers me in the way society is trending and including included in that is the way Aboriginal science, society itself is trending today. It's very easy to forget our ancient ways or our ancient values. And as I understand it, and as I was taught, there's our mob, us, and all the other mobs or all the other peoples, including the white fellas, were just other people. But the interesting thing was that wasn't a negative term because it was other people. There's us, the, the people, and then there's the other peoples. And so in a way, we looked on as others with albeit different, but as being the same. Yeah, and so everybody else still was seen equally are they different but somehow that's been transformed and it's becoming more and more a sharper transformation into something negative and difference is awful and to be spurned and hence we now call that viewpoint a racist viewpoint Mm. it was never our way to be that way Ever is what I was taught. Yet we ourselves are taking up that way of view or that viewpoint mm. to varying degrees. And that's against all our laws and our ancient laws and our ancient values. And so culture, if we are to retain a cultural identity, I don't know, somehow we've got to start revaluing our ancient values in their purity, in their purest sense and stop this borrowed value system that we're starting to take up ourselves. I don't know how worse or better to explain that, but if 
we're going to be the cultural people that we profess to be, we've got to live our vows. Just want to say, like, when um, reflecting on this whole yarn, is you look at Ani Karen talking about the connections to the Darug and the La Perouse and to that connections to the community, Uncle Ross um, having his Gadigal connections and identifying as Gadigal, uh, so his connections with obviously the Darug, the Eora, Darul as well. Uh, Uncle Ross, La Perouse, yeah. uh, sorry, Uncle John's La Perouse and Shannon and so forth. We have all these connections. And so when Dad was talking about this otherness, this otherness isn't something like Indigenous or not. It's not this imposed label on us. Uh, this otherness was an immense diverse that we were connected to. Was the interrelatedness, which was the essence of our beings. Uncle Ross was talking earlier about the animals within our stories, and they're not just animals, they're spiritual beings that we are connected to. And there's this respect for this holistic, immense complexity and diversity within what is now known or labelled as Australia um, that has been lost um, and is unknown to many non-Indigenous peoples and possibly lost by too many of our mobs mm. um, when we are more worried about this Indigenous or not debate um, and so forth. So I guess that's the theme I gathered from these discussions. Is we've got to respect the strengths of our connections mm. um, and even respect the, I guess, yeah. our connections with non-Indigenous peoples in part and realise that they're part of our futures now as well. Um, yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, what's stopping this, I would argue, is racism itself in its many forms. Yeah, the thing about is rather think about not us and others as being different and negative or weaker or worse. We're just going to think in terms of a sense of humanity. Humankind is what we are all part of, different parts of, by all means. Difference? We look at it, society tends to look at difference as a negative. Where mm. Rather than what we're, what's different between us, mm. we should be looking at what's the positive, positive. what's the, what's the connection, yeah. and what's, yeah, as abstract as that may be, it is a real positive because we yeah. have connectivity, we have things in common, we share values. Yeah, what we have not. And there's more positives then there are negatives. So why the bloody hell do we focus on those negatives, yeah. not the positives? Yeah, yeah. Apparently there is the recipe for racism. So in reimagining a better future for Indigenous education, what is your future for excellence in Indigenous education? It's John Truster here, but I believe that the uh, cultural uh, education should not only be just taught to the uh, teachers and principals, but also to the students. When I was a kid in school, if I was to complain about somebody uh, bullying me about racism, they just say, shut up and bear it. So what happened, I turned to uh, violence. I'd fight the kids who nasty to me. That was really wrong. By the time I was 14 years old, I was so damn sick of violence, I wouldn't fight anyone unless they push, 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 which which did happen. And I've really heard about a kid in high school really badly. Cut a long story short, I knew there and then I had to find a different way to, to uh, fight racism. Went to work, racism still at work, but uh, not as bad. I had to find a 
new way of uh, treating adults with uh, education on racism. One bloke in particular, every time there was a news item about Redfern on the news or in the newspapers, he would say to me at our lunch table, I, what are all the blacks up to today, you know? All the black bastards this and black bastards that, you know? He'd say this around at lunchtime in a group of friends we all sat together all all white except for me and he would embarrass me at least two or three times a month you know with the things that he said and uh, the arguments i put up weren't working so the the thing is i thought i've got to embarrass him like he's embarrassed me so he knows how it feels so what i did for months i called him eagles in front of everybody at the table and the other blokes were saying what do you call them call him uh, ankles for and i wouldn't tell them this day oh before that i, I was i tried to uh people with dates uh you know the dates like australia day and what's significant about it and all that sort of thing but that that didn't didn't really work it didn't embarrass him or anything like that but anyway this day he brought up about red firm mob playing up and i, I said what's it to you to do with you ankles you know and, and i started getting on with the ankles bit and he said what's this ankles bit all about and i says about three foot lower than an arsehole <laughs> and the whole table went up in an uproar and i looked at the bloke and he had his head bowed down towards the table his face was as red as a beetroot i did not have one ounce of racism after that from him he ended up a, a very good friend, actually. Going away on holidays together and meals at his place with the whole families and everything. But it, it taught him a lesson. The Aboriginal children at school need to learn also how to deal effectively with racism. And violence is not the answer. Violence just creates more violence. I believe every Aboriginal child should be able to defend themselves physically, but also mentally not to use violence against racism. It doesn't work. Been there, done that. Thank you. Thank you. Money, I wanted to say something. And it's about Gawain. Many years after Gawain left school and, and got on with whatever his pathways were, he shot me in a conversation once. And he said, Aboriginal studies when I was in high school, I hated it. And I said, why is that? And he said, well, Aboriginal studies in high school was all about negatives, all about what happened to the poor bloody Aboriginal people and, yeah, and the, the, the negatives, the historical negatives and everything. The whole thing was negatively tuned. And when I looked through all the resources and the books in Aboriginal studies, it was a very negative sad, unrealistic story. But what Gawain said to me, he said, whilst that was going on, Dad, you and Mum, all my life, had taught me about the beauty of our culture. And in school, myself and all the kids didn't get that positive beauty side of culture. We got the negatives of what had happened in Australia. And so that caused him for a long time to live in a sense of denial about his own, not about his Aboriginality, but he didn't want to expose that he was Aboriginal because there was this contradiction of the beauty of his culture that he'd been taught by his parents, his mum and his dad. There was this negativity that society had been taught about 
being Aboriginal. The reason I tell you that story is quite simple. If you're looking for the question of, and I think this reinforces what John said, if you're looking for means in the education system to talk about racism, the lesson for me is don't put it in a negative capsule and present it as, and, and, and teach people how to, as John how to handle those negatives in a positive manner. Only Karen again. Um, I think in relation to, I've been sitting here thinking about my involvement with the schools and mm. what I see happen with some of the teachers towards, and I'm talking Aboriginal teachers here as well, mm. um, towards some of the students who have their favourites and, you know, there's been nepotism stuff, all that sort of thing. Just to finish off for me and chime with what Gab was saying, I think one way of looking at this for us as elders, in my, my view and what I do in my daily, other daily life, um, we need to accentuate the positives, eliminate the negatives. I know that sounds easy, but it's not. To do that, I think we keep connecting with our elders, keep showing the respect for the elders um, from the teachers and the school and all that, the children will pick that up. Look, they picked an OF, junior, AECG, and those kids are learning about respecting elders. We're um, having a hands-on approach to teaching. We're engaging elders as mentors where we can. We want to strengthen the cultural education of all students, as was mentioned, not just black children, Aboriginal kids only. We should focus more on the good stuff, as Gav was saying, Acknowledge the achievements of our kids in school. Praise them. Give the credit where it's due. Mm -hmm. And I think we need to, at the end of the day, rewrite the history books because white Australia has a black history. I don't know what else I can say. Thank you. Deadly. Thank you. Um, I was involved in a racism case mm. in the year 2000. I was one of five Aboriginal staff in the Botanic Gardens, Sydney, and we were celebrating the turn of the century and also the anniversary of the garden. We were supposed to be, well, we were sort of entertaining the overseas visitors who visited cool. the garden, the tours and things like that. When it came to eating our lunch, we were advised that we were not allowed to eat our lunches with the white people, okay? That we had to be fed separately. We were not allowed to go into the restaurant. We were not allowed, although the restaurant people were very upset about us not being allowed in. But because we were Aboriginal, we could sit out in the rain. And I was so angry that fortunately Gavin had an even head on his shoulders. I wanted to murder them. (laughs) And I was even planning to get the plants to kill them (laughs) because I had... Four kids with me, young people, beautiful, young Aboriginal people. And you should have seen their faces when we were told that we couldn't eat with the white people. And I thought, I've got to do something. I've got to do something. Anyway, so we took the gardens to court. And guess what? We won. I was behind scenes and strategically helped Fran and the young kids Mm. out and sort of kept that level path, a non-violent path, as you were talking about, John. But to tell you that last day in the courtroom, the case was settled. Mm. When it came to its conclusion, I couldn't get in there because the agency in which 
they um, fighting against I was employed by. <laughs> 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 so there's a slight exposure risk, one might say, <laughs> that, that I was behind all strategic thinking. Anyhow, that, the day that that was settled, Fran came home by train and I had got home early, so I said, I'll go down and meet her at the station. So I wandered down to the station and I was a little bit late, so Fran was walking up the street and I could see her. And I could see this screen in her step. Mm. And just the demeanour, I knew what the outcome was <laughs> without knowing, having been told or whatever. She had this wonderful, wonderful smile on her face that I hadn't seen for a long time. As she walked up to me and we got close enough to hear each other, I said, how do you feel, darling? And she just stopped in the middle of the road and looked at me and said, for the first time, in two and a half years, that's how long this case had been delayed and argued about. And wait for it. She said, for the first time in two and a half years, I feel clean. That blew me away. Mm. For two and a half years, yeah. having suffered this, and they were grotesque incidents, she felt dirty. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. impure and all that negative stuff that comes as a result. I feel clean and I thought, oh my God. Now that was a consequence of racism, but this is why the teaching has to be positively oriented, not negatively geared. I think uh, Arnie Friend's frustration indicates, you know, how racism can really badly affect Everybody. It doesn't matter what race you are. You're getting racism problems. I, I don't know what I'm trying to say. It's, it's hard to say that, you know, you can't put your finger on it. The consequences of being the subject of racism are so deep and profound that the damage could really be irreparable. And so if we don't address the issues of it and grow out of that mentality, and I mean society as a whole. The cost to society is phenomenal in terms of people being inhibited from reaching their potential. And most people never reach their potential, I would argue. I saw conclude a thing as stupid and nonsensical as racism as the inhibitor and the primary inhibitor to people not reaching their potential. So when we get aggressive, it's only ways Racism affects us all. And, and well, society itself. Yeah, and, and, and everyone's different and it affects everybody in a different way. Out of La Perouse, uh, one week we had something like, I could be wrong with this, I can't remember what my facts are, but we had something like about uh, seven suicides and uh, around about five of those were years. You know, all growing up and learning about life and that. Uh, I can't say the racism was a problem of it, the cause of it all, but I'd say it's got to be a great part of it. Even myself today, yeah, I've, I've had thoughts of suicide because uh, of racism, you know. It gets so frustrating, you're banging your head against a bloody brick wall all the time. 
and the people that can't hear what you're saying, and it's cruel and it tears your heart out. You, you know, you want to do something constructive to, to overcome it, but you can't do that. I learned that when I was 14 years old. You, you can't be violent. What does a positive relationship look like in terms of Indigenous and non-Indigenous people in school settings? Let's go a little bit further back. Um, I had a great teacher. She was my grandmother. She was taken away from my great-grandmother because she was married to a minor. When he died, she was taken. And all the rest of the kids were dispersed, so they couldn't be taken. Ten years she was in a, um, say, in white care. She came out and she used to teach us at home about what people say. We, we'd come home and say, I had a bad day. You know, people have been saying that. She said, don't take any notice. You are what you are. And you understand yourself, what I've been te- teaching you. And I thought, yeah. So all through my life is every time that I have an issue like that, I go back to that particular conversation yeah. and, and listen to what she was telling me. And my Christ, I tell you what, it's best information that I, I had ever get, um, gotten, you know, it was to look at myself as the way how men used to see us and live with that, not take notice of idiots throughout yeah. there. And that, that was the way how she taught all of us kids. Admittedly, some of my brothers were weird, but, yeah. <laughs> but you know, um, my sister, the eldest one above me, she was the same. Nan's teachings were always put into, into play. Mm. We carried that all the way through. But when it even came down to religion, mm. she said, you don't need to go to a church. I said, why, man? All these others that go to school, they go to church. No, no, you don't need to go to church. You've got it in your heart. You carry that around with you all the way. And religion that you hear others have is the same but different. That was what she put into us. Treat people the way how they treat you. Now, I know it sounds easy, but you know what? After, after years, it was very easy. And that, that's what really seen me, as I say, I was a community development officer. And I got it easy for me. The white white part and the black part. Uh, I just ignored it and I moved through. And you know what? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We, we actually made inroads into that white-dominated farmers. We made a difference in that. Yeah. So that's yeah, that's one of the one of the ways how we grew mm. up in Surrey Hills. I think that we have lots and lots of really important messages and stories. Is there anything that you really wanted to add into the podcast before I stop recording? Have a good day. Oh. <laughs>